Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Here you go. Here you go. Slap. That is the nothing personal word of the day. What did I say? Slap. Yes, that's what Blake Snell said when he found out about a big trade with Tommy Pham going from the Tampa Bay Rays to the San Diego Padres for Hunter Renfro. He was describing the prospect who is a top prospect who is coming back in the trade. Let's hear what Blake had to say. We give a Pham up for Renfro and a damn slap prospect. He was doing a game, like on a website where you record a game while you're playing it or watching people play a game, whatever he was doing, and that was his actual reaction to the trade. He said, we're getting back a slap bleep prospect. He then apologized because that prospect's really good, but listen to me, Blake. Do me a favor. Stick to pitching and playing video games. Don't think that you can be the GM of the Rays. You should simply be saying thank you because the Rays haven't lost a trade since you've been in the organization. And this is another example where Hunter Renfro has a chance to have a better season than Tommy Pham. And instead of saying that you got a slap, bleep, you're going to be giving him hugs because you have a chance to play in October yet again. We knew Jerry Jones would come for us and give us content after a game like that, and he did not disappoint. He gave a radio interview this morning, and he put the G in grumpy. He barely wanted to talk about anything. You could hear how tired he was. And what I kept thinking about, is that the GM who's tired? Or is that the owner who's tired? Because when you play both roles, do you become doubly exhausted? He's tired what he said of all the losing. The losing. The losing. I think he put one losing per loss of his current three-game losing streak. For those of us who watched that game, we all were on the Bears' side because that was the pick of the day yesterday, as I hope you know and you jumped on because we've been on fire. But the reality is, Jerry Jones needs to look in the mirror. How many GMs would still be employed? How many? Who mid-season, right? They've had a coach for nine and a half years at the end of this season. Between 98 and 07, didn't win a playoff game. This is Jerry Jones. In 09, they won one game. In 14, one game. 16, didn't win a playoff game. And in 2018, one playoff game. Where exactly is the success that the GM Jerry Jones has had? Well, there's something happening with the owner, Jerry Jones, and here's what it is. He's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. 
It's like he doesn't know the Einstein theory. To do the same thing over and over again and think you're going to get different results, that's what makes you insane. And he sounded insane on the radio this morning. He sounded like someone who didn't realize it was time to fire the GM. Because he's told us that GM puts every player on the field. Well, if he were watching the game last night, which I think the GM was watching, it's hard to know because the owner turns away so much. GMs are famous. When you're a GM of a team or the president of a team, you watch your team every play, every at-bat, every down. When you're the owner of a team, you turn away in disgust. You get frustrated. You throw things. You walk to the back of your box. But the GM and president have to watch everything. So I'm not sure what Jerry is because during the course of a game, he's watching and then he's distracted and turning away and then he gesticulates and then he runs away. So that must be owner. Jerry, it's time to just be the owner of this team. It's time to recognize that the GM needs to be changed out. And if you're not willing to change out the GM, then at least make your GM fire the head coach because something's got to give. Because if you're going to say that making the playoffs by winning the NFC least means that you've had a successful year as a GM slash owner slash coach, I don't agree with you. As a matter of fact, Jason Garrett came out your own coach and said it doesn't matter how we get to the playoffs. Let's just get there. Jerry Jones, you said the same thing. Ah, we'll get there. We'll be playing well and we'll take it from there. That's called being delusional. Owners get to be delusional. GMs can't be. They have to be pragmatic. They have to pay attention to what's real, not what they wish were real. So when your owner and your GM are the same person, unless you're sort of split personality, you're going to have a problem. And that's what's happening in Cowboys Nation right now. Well, we finally heard from Tua yesterday. We were waiting with bated breath. He was going to take the stage talk about his injury, talk about the NFL draft. Everyone's been tanking for Tua. It's been trending on Twitter, the hashtag forever. I don't think you're tanking for Tua anymore because he's not going to be a top pick. A month ago, you all remember, he hurt his hip badly. We weren't sure how badly. Tua did something that I like. He has advisors. We can debate whether or not he actually has agents, whether or not he's getting paid on the side, whether or not there's any nefarious things going on with big-time college athletes, but we'll leave that to another nothing personal. What I do know is that he said the following thing, and I agreed with him. This was two days ago. He said, now is not the time to be making emotional decisions. You got to change into thinking as a businessman and make businessman decisions. That's my kind of guy. That's what we do here at Nothing Personal. It is all just business. So I thought Tua was getting the best advice possible. He was keeping it business, strictly focused. And then he took the microphone yesterday and it all went up in flames like a trash bin on fire if I didn't just mix metaphors. He took the mic and he said, I won't say I'll be the same because there's metal in here now, referring to his hip. I don't think I'd be the same again. I will lose some inward rotation. The sound you just heard, I don't know if my mic will pick it up. That's the sound of Tua's agent hitting the floor in a state of unconsciousness, flopping like a fish. That's not what they rehearsed for him to say. 
That's not what any of his agents or family members, anybody into his camp wanted him to say. Why? Because if you're an NFL scout watching, are you paying attention? No, but NFL owners are. And NFL owners at the end of the day inject themselves into the NFL draft and will decide whether they're going to take Tua in the top one, two, three, four, or five picks. Believe it or not, NFL owners do not look at the mock drafts that we all do. I love doing mock drafts. We do it here on CBS Sports HQ. It's phenomenal. Owners don't look at that. What they're looking at is who they like, who they're told by their inside people. Sometimes it's their lawn guy. Sometimes it's their friend or elevator man. You never know who the insider could be. But the insiders look at what Tua said, and the owners look at it and say, whoa, we can't be a top pick now. He acknowledged that he may not be the same again. Does that even make him a top first-round pick? And if he's going to be a mid to bottom of the first-round pick, what do you do if you're Tua? Well, it's clear, and let me give Tua a word of advice. I'm not sure what your major is right now at Alabama, but I can promise you this. Whatever it is that you're studying is very unlikely to have an entry-level salary, the amount of your signing bonus, no matter where you're drafted in the NFL draft. On the assumption that you went to college in order to find a job, in order to support yourself and your family, I would say you've done a heck of a job, Tua. Hip injury notwithstanding. You could use some PR advice, that's for sure. But no matter where you're drafted, if you're going to get paid and we don't know whether or not you can play... Take the money and run, Woody Allen. Google it. That's a boomer reference. Take it and run. Why would Tua decide to use his last year of eligibility in some remote hope of actually increasing his draft stature, maybe going as a top five pick or number one pick? Is the juice really worth the squeeze? How does he know whether he's going to get hurt again? How does he know whether he can actually play again? Do you think it's a coincidence that Giancarlo Stanton signed a long-term contract after he got hit in the face by a pitch and hadn't taken an at-bat when he signed the deal? Is it true that we offered him the most money in history? Yes. But is it also true that he didn't want to sign with the Marlins? Yes. That's what Tua will be like. He will sign with whoever drafts him because he knows that he better take some guaranteed money because he himself has a level of insecurity right now about his ability to take the football field. So Tua, next time you take the mic, stick with business. And the business is your business. Your business is making money for yourself. Don't talk about your injury. Don't question any of your abilities. Instead, talk hyperbole. I feel great. I'm ready to go. I can't wait to help whichever team drafts me Help them win a Super Bowl. End of story. Drop the mic. Well, who never drops the mic? Just a show of hands around the studio. Who do you know who never drops the mic? It's okay if you're going to say me. That's true. But there's someone else. It's our friend Scott Boris. The winter meetings start on Sunday in sunny San Diego. It's actually ironic. They should have them in Antarctica because the MLB executives never see the light of day. Ever. You're inside a suite, the shades are drawn, you eat buffet food, you order room service, and you've got cold snacks and old snacks over the course of four days. But you're there to do business, and the Washington Nationals have a lot of business to do. 
But what happened today is something that happens every offseason. And for whatever reasons, reason, owners still get sucked into the vortex of Scott Boris. Let's listen to Mark Lerner. Mark Lerner is the owner of the World Series champion, Washington Nationals. We can only really afford to have one of these two guys, he said, discussing Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg, two of his free agents who happen to be both represented by Scott Boris. Mark Lerner, this is a quote that he gave. These quotes get workshopped. You meet with your PR people. You discuss a strategy. You teach your owner what to say and how to say it. And then he says this. We can only afford to have one of these two guys. But it's not up to us. We can give them a great offer, which we've done to both of those players. Okay. Did everyone hear that? We can only afford to get one of these players, but we've made a great offer to both of these players, and we'd be delighted if they stay. The double speak that Mark Lerner is speaking probably is unintentional because I know him well, and he's actually smart. He's just not media savvy. He took over as the control person from his 94-year-old father a couple of years ago. He's gotten himself recovered. Mark Lerner had some health issues. But Mark Lerner, like many other owners, does not spend a lot of time in front of the media. They're uncomfortable with it. They don't exactly plan what to say. As a matter of fact, their mouths are always ahead of their brains. Here's a little note for all of you watching and listening. When your mouth is ahead of your brain, you're not going to succeed when it comes to public relations or the media. Your brain has to be ahead of your mouth. I already know what I'm going to say in the future, and I've already calculated whether I should say it and how I should say it. As a matter of fact, while I'm saying what I'm saying now, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say in my next segment, which has to do with Scott Boris. But Mark Lerner did not do that. So I'm calling him out, Mark. You can't afford both players, but you made an offer to both players. If I did that as a team president to my owner, I would lose my job. You can't make an offer hoping that somebody doesn't accept it. Wait a minute. Yes, you can. And yes, I have. Here's what an offer would be to Anthony Rendon that he will never accept. Anthony, we're making you an offer for five years, $100 million. Yes, we've made him an offer. Steven Strasburg, we're offering you a two-year deal for $20 million per year. Have I ever done that in my career? Made an offer so I could tell my fans, the fans of the team that we've made an offer, knowing that that offer would not be accepted? Yes, I have. Why do we do it? Because we want our fans to believe that we're in it, that we're trying to sign people. You can never make a bad signing that you don't make. The only bad signings are the ones that you actually make and overpay. So maybe Mark Lerner is telling the truth that he did make an offer to both Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg, and maybe he knows that one or both of them will not be accepted. What I know is the Nationals cannot succumb to the World Series-itis. On Nothing Personal, we've talked about Steve Cohn, the new Mets owner in five years, and new owner-itis that he will certainly have. Well, World Series-itis is something that we all suffer from, those of us who are lucky enough to have won. You spend your life trying to get a ring, and then when you do, you think that that's okay, but now I need two. But before you had your first, you would have given up anything to get a ring, and then you get greedy. 
And you're right, Gordon Gecko did say it. Greed is good. I don't deny that. Two rings is certainly better than one. But if you start making decisions chasing the ring, which we did also after our 2003 ring, you end up chasing Amy and never getting the second ring. There's no reason for the Nationals to overpay for Steven Strasburg. He walked away. He opted out of his deal. Move on without him. You passed on Bryce Harper because Anthony Rendon was the glue of your team. Are you saving money to give to Juan Soto? Yes. You've got two position players you need to pay, and you've got two pitchers you need to pay in Scherzer and Corbin. The rest you've got to work around and churn. But build that team about Rendon. Pay that man his money, John Malkovich. But Scott Boris hears this from Mark Lerner, and Scott Boris immediately goes into damage mode because his clients call him and they say, wait, are the Nationals not in on me? Are they not going to pay me what, what you promised me I'd get, Scott? Scott, you better meet the media. You better say something because Mark's line. Of course they could afford both players. So Scott Boris does what Scott Boris does. You know, he's not even a good wordsmith. He says things. He goes to the winter meetings. He stands in front of a ton of media members. And he just like holds court thinking he's Pope Francis getting a Lamar Jackson jersey. Well, he certainly is not that pious because everything he says is a 100% incorrect. He's the anti-Pope Francis, the un-Pope. But here's what he said. The Nationals are experiencing a revenue festival in 2020. World Series momentum has blossomed. The franchise value has increased by nearly $2 billion since their purchase. The Nationals made, here's where it gets funny. The Nationals made an extra $30 million winning the World Series. Attendance will increase by more than four to 500000 TV ratings and advertising rates all skyrocketed. Everyone in D.C. knows special cherry trees create revenue bloom? What in the hell are you talking about, Scott? Special cherry trees? Well, let me tell you where you're wrong. You've never run a team. So let me explain to you how TV deals work. You don't get a bonus when you win the World Series in the middle of a long-term TV deal. You don't all of a sudden get higher rights fees because you won a World Series, because your ratings go up. That is absolutely incorrect. As a matter of fact, the way you make more money on local TV is by getting more in rights fees, which is through subscribers, not through advertising revenue. So your advertising rates skyrocketing do nothing. They may help out Masson a tiny bit, but as you know, Scotty boy, the Nationals don't own Masson. The Orioles do. Now, attendance will increase by four to 500,000. Is he selling season tickets? Does he know the ATP of those extra four to 500,000? What's ATP, Scott? Oh, that's right. You didn't go to school to learn how to run a team. It's called average ticket price. I could get 500,000 more people right now to come to Marlins games, and they'd pay a penny a ticket. Would that be enough money to pay one of your clients? So I'm not sure what exactly you mean by four to 500,000 people. That's a little vague. And then the franchise values increased by $2 billion. Well, do you know what you can do with an increased franchise value of $2 billion? You can't buy a bunch of bananas because that's not current day cash. That's a value in your estate. That's really good if you're the family member of the learners. 
But you can't pay your players with that every two weeks, Scotty. You need cash, liquidity. Franchise appreciation means nothing to current day payroll. And by the way, the Nationals, who you have built with ridiculously bad contracts over the years, they've been your go-to. Move on to someone else, Scott. Yankees. I love talking to Yankees. Brian Cashman, he gets distracted. He's the GM of the team, been the GM forever. He's done a great job, except for the last decade. Keeps his job because he can deal with the Steinbrenner, both Steinbrenners, the old father, now the son. He was rappelling down a building, and there was a sign as he rappelled down the building that said, sign Garrett Cole. While he's rappelling down a building, he notices this sign, and poof, he had an epiphany, let's sign Garrett Cole. And then wouldn't you know it, a source came out yesterday saying that the Yankees, quote, have ownership-level approval to offer Garrett Cole a record-setting deal. That's the worst source I've ever heard. That's mumbo-jumbo. It doesn't mean anything. Let's look at it closely. Ownership-level approval. There's no level. It's Hal Steinbrenner. It's not Randy Levine, the president, or Brian Cashman, the GM. It's nobody except Hal Steinbrenner. But Hal Steinbrenner is not approving the terms of the deal. He's approving the payroll and whether or not they're going to go over the luxury tax threshold. And if so, over how many years? So when you say record-setting deal, does that mean in terms of years? Total value? That's David Price, 217 mil. Or maybe it's the amount per year, the average annual value. Set the record in that way. The biggest free agent deal, as you know, was David Price, 7-2-17. But if you look at players who make more, you've got Mike Trout, Granke, Kershaw on an annual basis, smaller deal, but they make more per year. So what exactly does that mean, this great source that ownership level has approved, offering Garrett Cole a record-setting deal? Well, if you're a Yankees fan, it doesn't mean he's going to be wearing pinstripes. And I'm sorry, but during the winter meetings, you're going to hear a lot of things about a lot of meetings that take place. Trust me, I've been in these meetings. They don't mean anything. No player has ever made a decision to come to play for a team because of a meeting, because they've been wined and dined. None of that matters. Andy Pettit, Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, they got on the plane and flew out to meet with Cole and Stroudsburg. You know what? Show me the money. That's what the players are saying, and that's it. They don't need a relationship with the front office. They say they do. They say they may want a good school system. They say they may like the minor league system like Machado did. It's all going to be about the size of the contract. And just you wait where Cole ends up. It will all be the money. I spent last night watching a movie that made me cry. And I'm going to talk about it. Uh, It's a movie called Britney Runs a Marathon. It's a movie right now on Amazon Prime, and here's what it's about. It's about an overweight partier who can't run at all, not an athlete. She simply drinks, has no self-esteem. She eats and drinks her way through life. She's in her 20s, and she's going nowhere fast, jealous of all the social media going on, seeing everybody who's skinny and supposedly happy, which, as you know, is all complete crap. But she's watching social media, believing that's the case. 
for whatever reason, luckily, she happens to meet people who she basically scoffs at who are runners. She makes fun of them because that's what non-runners do. Before 1996, when I ran my first New York City Marathon, I used to be the same way. You run? That's a joke. But then I started running and I realized the joke was on me before I started to run. It's fun to be part of a clique who run, a clique who will pay attention to everything and everybody within. So Brittany enters a running club. And this is a movie about how she transforms her life, all because she was willing to take the first step. This is the only movie in the history that has been allowed to film during the actual New York City Marathon. And I've run the New York Marathon five times, and I know the camaraderie that happens. I know the wall of sound when you come off the 59th Street Bridge onto First Avenue. I know what it feels like to be at mile 22 thinking that your body can't go another step. I know what it feels like to be so scared at the start line that you cannot imagine how you're going to possibly run, jog, walk, crawl 26.2 miles. But for Brittany, it wasn't just about the 26.2 miles. It was about the journey. And the journey was her losing weight, getting a better job, paying closer attention to her friends and family, and becoming a better person. All because she was willing to take one step. So my advice to anyone, whether you've taken that step or you haven't, whether you've clinged onto that door wondering should you open it or should you go right back to your couch, whether you've looked at lacing up your shoes and then taking them off before stepping out the door or whether you've come back from a workout and said, not me, never again. If you've decided that you're never gonna take a chance in work or in your personal life or professional life, this is a movie to watch because nothing good happens sitting on your couch. Now, you can do both. I do. I do sit on my couch and I watch other people in movies, in TV shows, but that doesn't define me. It's not all I do. So take the hour and 43 minutes. It's about 103 minutes. Watch Britney Runs a Marathon and tell me you don't tear up during the New York Marathon, which they actually filmed during the 2017 New York City Marathon. Filming got interrupted by actual New York City marathon runners who were helping Jillian Bell, the actress, because in the movie, she's struggling during the marathon. But guess what? Everybody is struggling at that point. You don't even notice their cameras around. Even if you do, you assume it's some sort of documentary. It wouldn't occur to you that you're going onto the set of a movie that is actually being filmed. That actually happened. I triple dare you to watch this movie and not shed a tear. It won the Audience Award at this year's Sundance. That's not nothing. That is a major win for this small movie, low budget, phenomenally acted, star vehicle called Britney Runs a Marathon. I want to talk about a uh, something that's going on and it's something that goes on in, in clubhouses. It's something that goes on in workplaces. And it's not a very pleasant conversation. But it is something that's important. And it's something that I had to think about. Man, I, I would tell you, running a team, everyone, everyone says to me, what's the hardest part when you ran a baseball team? And I, I did run it for 18 years. And this is something, we do a segment every day. And the segment is, so you want to talk to Samson. And someone sent me, a question about 
America's Got Talent and what my view is of what happened with Dwayne Wade's wife, Gabrielle Union. Because we do do entertainment on this show, too. And Gabrielle Union was fired and uh, not renewed, not brought back, however you want to describe it, from America's Got Talent. And then it became a huge, huge deal to the point that there's now an entire investigation into what happened on the set of that show. So if you come to my Twitter at David P. Sampson, you go to my DMs, you can come up with any topic you want. I'll try to answer as many DMs as I can at David P. Sampson. But in case I don't, I'll try to get to you. In case they're not long answers, I'm sorry, but I'm reading what you ask and what you offer. And if I find it interesting, and if I think the listeners will find it interesting, I'm going to mention it. So, you wanted to talk to Samson? Now you are. What do you do in a place where there is a culture of misogyny? There is a culture like a, an old-time, old-boys network. I'm talking about not just on the set of America's Got Talent. I'm talking about in clubhouses and locker rooms. How do you deal with the reality that it is a human resources nightmare every single day? People ask me for 18 years, what's the hardest part? Is the hardest part finding players? Is the hardest part selling tickets? The hardest part is actually dealing with human resources and dealing with the reality, not just today where it's 10 times harder than when I started in 1999, but right now with all of the sensitivity and all of the potential problems that can happen, Keeping things within the clubhouse and keeping everyone behaving is even more critical than it's ever been. Now, my critics will say, how could you have a double standard and treat the clubhouse differently than you treat the marketing department? Well, I'm a pragmatic leader. I understand that they're supposed to be the same, but I also work and live in the real world. In the real world, the clubhouse in Major League Baseball is completely different than the sales and marketing department and the executive offices on the third floor of Marlins Park. I'm not allowed to say it when I was running the team, but guess what? I'm not running the team, and now I get to give you the insight into really what goes on. And what really goes on is a nightmare. We wouldn't let our HR people near the clubhouse, ever. We wanted plausible deniability. We wanted to make sure that anything that went on was not because the over the corporation with a big C, the owner, the president, it wasn't because we allow it. Anything that would go wrong would be a violation of our corporate policies, of our employee handbook. But the zero tolerance that I would have for someone in the marketing or sales department did not happen in the clubhouse. If I had zero tolerance for all the HR violations that took place during the course of a day game in a clubhouse, there would be no players ever. You would be watching the grounds crew play a game. Does that interest you in any way? Don't you buy tickets to see the best players? Well, the problem is the best players don't act like the best people all the time and neither do the best executives. You feel as though that when you're in the clubhouse, you're boxed off, you're in a bubble. You can say and do things that in the real world you can't say or do. What happens when you let someone into that bubble? America's Got Talent let someone in that bubble. And her name was Gabrielle Union, and she wasn't going to have it. She wasn't going to stand for it. She didn't like that Simon Cowell smoked indoors, violating the laws in California. But it was his show, he didn't stop. She didn't like jokes that were told that were off color. 
She didn't like the fact that producers told her they couldn't accept a young 10-year-old rapper of color to the next stage, to the next step. She had tons of complaints. They fell on deaf ears, and then she was, quote-unquote, rotated out. Just like Heidi Klum will be rotated in. But what they didn't count on is that Gabrielle Union has become really very active with all social issues. She and her husband, Dwayne Wade, have become beacons of hope and power for individuals who are underrepresented. So now there is a problem at NBC. So what do you do? Page one of the problem textbook. You know what it is. Come on, let me hear it out there. You know what it is. The studio audience is silent. You start an internal investigation. That's the number one thing. We are investigating this thoroughly. We had a very long, good meeting. Well, I've done a lot of internal investigations. I've had a lot of meetings. And do you know what they all ended with? Settlements. Payments. Every single time. Because when you let someone in the bubble who's not ready to be in the bubble and sets our bubbles, clubhouses or bubbles, you're going to have a problem. Does that mean we give up and we stop trying to make it more comfortable, more inclusive? Of course, because it's the right thing to do. But the reality is that in those clubhouses, there are things going on that would knock your socks off if you're wearing PC socks, which I'm not. So it doesn't. Rich, this is... It's too good. I love doing this show with everyone. Thank you so much for subscribing, for downloading. Please rate five stars. Follow me on Twitter at David P. Sampson. It's always fun because things just happen every day that I'm not going to give you the recap of the game of the Cowboys Bears. You've got go to CBS Sports HQ for the recap of the game. I'm going to give you things that are going on that interest me and that I think will interest you. And what Richard Sherman did yesterday interested me a lot. Richard Sherman defended Tim Ryan's comments on Lamar Jackson. Do you remember my word of the day yesterday? It was suspension, as in Tim Ryan being suspended for talking about Lamar Jackson's dark skin and how it camouflages the dark ball with the dark uniforms, making fake handoffs harder to figure out. He was then suspended for a game, and Richard Sherman came to Tim Ryan's defense. Richard Sherman said, now Richard Sherman plays for those same 49ers. Richard Sherman is African-American. And Richard Sherman said, the word choice wasn't perfect. But you know, the point he was making is correct. Well, I have a question for you. If a white player had come to his defense, how would that have gone? But Richard Sherman coming to his defense, does that change the conversation? Does that make the words right? Does that change how a team looks at an employee who does it? We talked a little bit yesterday, but we could talk much more about people who have lost their jobs over racist comments who weren't racist. People who had misspoken. It's still happening today. If you want to be active in social media and in the Twitterverse, if you want to do a podcast and be in front of listeners every single Monday to Friday for 45 minutes, you are taking your life and your career into your own hands because it's just a matter of time for everybody. For me, it happened with Daniel Hudson and paternity leave. Can you imagine getting ratioed for that? 
I didn't lose my job, but I got spanked. Not by Billy Corbin. But I'd like to know just one thing. If I'm running the 49ers, do I listen to Richard Sherman and therefore say that, you know what, it's okay, Tim, one game and then you're good. What if Richard Sherman had said the opposite? What if Richard Sherman had come out publicly and stated, this is an outrage that my team only gave a one-game suspension for a statement that is so obviously racist? What do you think the Niners would have done? I know what I would have done. I would have fired Tim Ryan because I wouldn't want Richard Sherman, A, to be upset, but B, I wouldn't want that to be the narrative that as an owner, I accept around my team. But now that Richard Sherman has given the okay, now I can hide behind it. But that's a double standard for owners and presidents. I don't like being that way. And I was that way. And I couldn't ever stop. Because at the end of the day, when you want to do what's right, you still think about what you can do to survive to fight another day. What can I do to make sure that the train continues to move forward? For the San Francisco 49ers, they had to get through Colin Kaepernick. Now they had to get through a complete rebuild, and now they're finally winning games. The last thing they want is this distraction. So they're doing something that makes perfect sense to me. One game suspension, Richard Sherman comes out in favor, game over, we're done with it. I find it to be a tremendous double standard for the simple reason that Richard Sherman is the one who is controlling this. Thank God for Tim Ryan and the Niners that Richard Sherman was okay. The NBA coaching carousel, that's something that I focus on and think about. It's hard to coach in the NBA. And one of the things that's hard, the, there's news coming out today about the Cavaliers coach. He uh, was a successful college coach for the University of Michigan for 12 years. I, I, I think we have a – Coke is not here today, so we have a – Marone is the producer. Marone, is it Beeline or Booline? By Beeline is the thank you. Beeline is the is the is the producer. Beeline is the coach for the Cavaliers. And word came out that uh, he was not really respected by his players. Twenty games into the season, twenty games into a five year contract, this is was the big hire by Dan Gilbert because he thought that this guy could work with the young players. How is it that coaches can go from so good to so bad when they've succeeded everywhere they've been, but not in the NBA, and then they come to the NBA and it doesn't work? Let's take a look at the Phoenix Suns coach. This is a fun story. He used to coach the Suns. He coached them for a year. This is a big-time Serbian coach. He coaches and coached the Serbian national team. His name is Igor Kokoskov. Kokoskov. Igor. Let's just call him Igor. Igor was the coach of the Suns for one season. Igor was the coach when the Suns had the number one overall draft pick, and they drafted a guy named DeAndre Ayton. Do you remember DeAndre Ayton? Well, you haven't seen him play recently because he's been suspended 25 games for the illegal use of a diuretic. And if you've ever watched me on CBS Sports HQ, a diuretic is the same thing that Robinson Cano got suspended for in baseball. A diuretic is what's used to try to mask steroid use. You don't take these diuretics when you have a tummy ache. It's not Pepto-Bismol. It's not Gaviscon. It is to cover up steroids. So, DeAndre Ayton got suspended, was the number one pick. You know who went number three that year? Luca, Luca, Luca. 
Now, Igor knew Luka because Igor coached Luka on the Serbian national team. And someone caught Igor at a bad moment yesterday. He's now the assistant coach. He got a job. I'm happy for him. He got a job with the Sacramento Kings. And someone cornered him and asked him about what it, why they didn't draft Luka and instead drafted Aiton. And here's exactly what he said. He said, I cannot answer that question because of a professional code. I sleep peacefully. Igor, did you just say you can't answer that question because of a professional code? Are you aware that you just answered that question? Are you aware that you now will very likely never coach in the NBA as a head coach again? Because as an owner, I'm looking at that quote, and you just sold me down the river. That was the most passive-aggressive quote I've read since the days of my old managers trying to get fired and trying to get paid. Igor, I get you wanted to draft Luka, but here's what you do if you want to be a head coach in the NBA. When asked the question, hey, what was your view of drafting Aiton instead of Luka? Your answer is, well, as you know, I was privileged enough to coach Luka on the Serbian national team is what Igor should say. I can't do his accent. And he would have been a great choice for us. That said, we were all in agreement that drafting eight and number one overall was in the best interest of the franchise. And at the time, I was completely supportive of that pick. Even if he's crossing his fingers and his toes, that's what a coach has to say. And if a coach says that, then I get to go on nothing personal and tell you what he actually meant. Well, now Igor did something opposite. He said, I cannot answer that question because of a professional code. The professional code, code, Igor, is not telling people there's a professional code. It's like the rules of Fight Club. What's the first rule of Fight Club? What's Fight Club? Yes, that's the point. You don't tell people about the code. The code is that as a coach, you do what the GM and the owner want and you shut your mouth. You say, I'm on board. You don't two years later, three years later, after you've been fired, after a year, trying to maybe be a head coach again, say it again. I found it to be very misplaced. Disappoint you for Igor to do it. The irony, of course, is that he did answer the question. He, of course, wanted Luca, the GM in Phoenix, the owner in Phoenix. It could have been Sarver at the time, whoever the owner is. They wanted the safer pick. And the safer pick is always, we've talked about this with Luca. We've talked about the fact that the Mavericks don't go for the safe picks. They're used to having the Dirk Nowitzkis. They're used to having overperforming uh, European players who grow into these, from the Eastern European countries, who grow into these incredible players. I get why all of this happens. However, I also get that if you're in the NBA, you've got to know now that drafting one-and-done players, even it's happening this year with Zion, just because they're one-and-done just because they're the clear number one does not mean that they're going to become championship performing players. After all, Zion hasn't even played a possession this year. You're going to say it's because of the knee injury. I'm going to say whatever. I hated when players, hate's a strong word. I dislike very much when the media or fans or people would say to me, hey, listen, it's not that this player doesn't want to play. He can't play. He's injured. It's not that this player wasn't good. He was injured. Well, my answer to that is if you're injured, I don't care. It means you're not playing. The bottom line is you're not helping my team. 
So it's not an excuse. It doesn't make Zion a better pick. Zion is not the correct number one pick for this season. Why? Because he hasn't played yet. It could change over time. But this moment, this moment, the Pelicans are not happy they drafted Zion. The Suns are not happy they drafted Aiton, even if at the time they completely were. Igor, don't quit your day job in Sacramento. Thanks for the quote and letting us inside the professional code. Well, we got a pick of the day. God, please tell me you're going with me. Please tell me we haven't lost. We had a pick of the day, the Bears. That was so easy. I mean, to me, I I watched the game, but I didn't have to. Slam dunk. I'm going to get cocky. And when you gamble, getting cocky is the single worst thing you could do. But let's try it. We're getting cocky today, and we're going for a parlay, a dose team parlay. Let's try to win some extra. And I got two games that I think are pretty much slam dunks, so I said let's do them both. The Wizards are coming off a game last night. They had to travel, and they are playing Miami, who's coming off an off day. Miami's undefeated at home. Yes, they're going to eventually lose a game, but it's not going to be tonight. Heat nine and a half over the Wizards, no problem. Then who do we partner that with? Well, in honor of Marone being the producer today, Marone and I have a $1 Lewis and Mortimer bet. He said the Heat will end up with a higher ranking than the Nets in the Eastern Conference. Well, so far he's been prescient, but so far he hasn't collected a penny because the bet is far from over. Tonight, I say there's no blood between the Heat and the Nets because the Nets are going to beat the Hornets. Nets, two and a half over the Hornets. That is my pick of the day parlay. Do it, Heat Nets. Wait to see. We end tweets with it on David P. Sampson. It's fun because we always wait and then we always see by definition. And I love circling back when I get things right. And I love circling back when I get things wrong. Well, yesterday, Odell Beckham did something that what that's what Odell Beckham does. It's that time of year where he plays for an underperforming team, has an underperforming season and makes a question as to whether or not he'll return to that team. Odell, you're boring me to tears. I don't care about your plight anymore. And then you apologize saying you didn't mean to say you weren't happy in Cleveland? Give me a break. Why don't you try to catch some touchdown passes and why don't you try to make your team better? But you know what my wait to see is, Odell? You're not going to be on the Browns because your act has worn thin. You're yesterday's news. Wait to see. Odell Beckham and the Browns are a marriage made to end after this season. But don't worry, Odell. It's just business. It's nothing personal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.